This podcast is sponsored by Luke1977. If you do fancy getting yourself any gear from over at Luke, don't forget to use my code MAX20 to get yourself a nice big 20% off. Obviously, it is getting a little bit colder outside now, and Christmas isn't a million miles away. So if you do want to go and get yourself any gear from over at Luke, don't forget to use my code MAX20. And welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as ever, joined by Simon Lyon. Simon, how are you, mate? All good? Yeah, absolutely buzzing. I mean, you, you know, you can't beat the last week, can you, as a Villa fan? I feel like absolutely buoyant on top of the world kind of thing at the moment. It's just a great time to be a Villa fan, so yeah, buzzing. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It doesn't feel real. You look at that league table and it just looks like you're playing FIFA or you're like 15 years into football manager. It's like... How, how can that be real? Sat third in the Premier League, above Manchester City, beating arguably the two best sides in the league in the last four days. And what were we saying this time last week on the podcast? Arguing about, would you take two points? Would you take three points? Maybe even take four points. But six, six points out of City and Arsenal, so close together, two clean sheets. It's like, that can't be real. What a week we've had. Yeah, you're right. I think we were. We were debating how many points you would take, but... I think the one thing that sticks in my head that I was saying this time last week was that we need to go into these games with confidence, with no fear, because we're not the Aston Villa of a few years ago. We're not the Aston Villa of, you know, we're in 13th, 14th, thinking, oh, you know, anything will do. You know, we're mixing it with the big boys and we had every right to go into them games confident. And, you know, being a Villa fan, obviously, we, we, we're genuinely a little bit more pessimistic, I suppose, because of hmm. all the rubbish that we've seen over the years. But... God, we went into them two games with absolute confidence in the end and, and probably more confidence than any of us had. But yeah, like I say, like I, I genuinely, I think this time last week, I genuinely thought we had a real shot. I didn't expect us to get six points, um, but I, I thought we had a genuine, genuine good shot at it. And uh, yeah, the players and the manager absolutely proved that to be to be the case. I cannot wait to talk to you about these couple of games because I wasn't at the Arsenal game. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But I just can't wait to talk to you about these two games because I don't think we've spoken too much over the last few days. So I cannot wait to get into this. So coming up in this podcast, we will talk about those City and Arsenal victories as well as previewing our trip to Bosnia in just a matter of days and look at the wider picture in Europe as well. Just before we do crack on then, please do subscribe to the podcast on whatever you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, please do do subscribe so you never miss an episode. There's plenty of podcasts coming at you over the next few weeks. Plenty of games, plenty of trips coming up, so do subscribe. Do check out Villa on Tour over on YouTube as well. Watch the City vlog, the Arsenal game as well. I made a video on that despite not being there, so go and check those out. I don't know if you saw this comment, side, but someone described that Arsenal video that I made as sort of the Villa on Tour multiverse episode. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. If, if somebody hasn't seen that episode, basically I was at the Christmas markets in Nottingham. I sort of watched the game in a sports bar, so there was coverage of that, me celebrating the goal in a pub, as well as you made some content Jamie who sits next to me in the Holt made some content and I kind of put it all together so yeah that comment is spot on it was like a multiverse Villa on tour coming together yeah me just sort of floundering around for my iPhone in the north stands I couldn't I couldn't hit record <laughs> quick enough and I, I couldn't get to the camera function quick enough all panicky and, uh, <laughs> I just like yeah how did you find football vlogging then because uh, people might take it for granted oh it's easy enough just filming it a game how did you find it stressful <laughs> man I found it stressful like I, I don't know how you do you know what it's the typical thing when we say blokes 
can't multitask because I genuinely couldn't multitask. <laughs> I, I couldn't concentrate on the game, talking to the blokes behind me and, and thinking I need to record as well. So unfortunately, I, I missed the John McGinn goal. I was all too stressed about how good <laughs> how good Villa's attack was. And then thinking, oh, I need to get to my camera function on my phone. And it's weird, actually, because I've got the um, I've got the iPhone 15. You know, you get like that. You get that quick action button on the on the iPhone on the new iPhones on the iPhone 15. Yeah, you hold it down and it takes me straight to the camera. It still wasn't quick enough. It was like I was all I was getting all panicky. But you know what? I genuinely don't know how you. I don't know how you do. But obviously, you're used to it. Give me credit. Give me credit. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like you're 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 <laughs> used to doing it now. But I, but like yeah, it was probably stressful. I found like really really stressful. But I'm not a great multitasker, so then maybe that's why. But you know what? I did actually quite when I when I watched the clips back afterwards, I actually I think I quite enjoyed myself actually. Yeah, do you reckon there's a future career in there? You're gonna set up like a rival channel, Simon on tour or something? I am. I'm gonna part ways by mutual consent with you and start my uh, start my own channel oh. or something like that. Get the corner flag tweet out there, Simon's leaving Villa on tour. I love that. Channel um, statement, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Right, just before we do crack on into those games, a little bit of villa news then. I like doing this segment. A little bit of stuff that's away from the City game, the Arsenal game. I don't know if you've seen this because it's literally just come out from John Percy. Uh, Dean Smith is in advanced talks to become the new head coach of Major League Soccer side Charlotte FC. Negotiations ongoing, but former Aston Villa manager is expected to finalise his contract later this week. Now, I know he was in um, New York, wasn't he, for the Arsenal game, was it? Or was it the Man City game? I'm not sure. But he was definitely in New York in the last week or so, watching it, uh, watching the games with a couple of New York Lions. So that was interesting. But he's uh, found himself a new job over in the States. Interesting one. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, you can't blame him, can you? I, I saw something... Um, in the last sort of, 24 hours, linking him heavily with the, the Stoke job since Alex Neal's oh, departed. I know where I'd rather go. Well, that's the thing. And I think Dean's probably looking at it thinking he, he's took on kind of two poison chalices at Norwich and then Leicester. And he's lost his job both mm. times, them, although Leicester was a bit different because it was a short-term contract. And he actually did a right Leicester. He almost kept them up, to be fair to him. He's probably looking at it, though, thinking like England, especially in the EFL, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a scrap heap, isn't it? It's like if you don't get, run, put a run together and get, go for promotion, the team's just sack you, don't they, essentially? I mean, look how many managers Stoke have had over the last few years. It's been yeah. crazy. And so he's probably thinking, you know what? I'm going to pay good money to go and be in some really good weather. His son plays over in America, remember, as well. Mm-hmm. I don't blame him. He's probably, yeah, like I say, he's getting paid really good money to go and coach. He loves coaching. He's, he's getting to do that in a, in, a, in America with the sunshine and... And yeah, and he's still doing what he loves. I I don't blame him in the slightest, to be honest. Yeah, there's no pressure over there, is there? I mean, if he went to Stoke, what's the ceiling? Like, what's the yeah. aim for Stoke? It's not like they've got a perfect setup, is it? To like, they're on the cusp of the playoffs. They want to get back into the Premier League. It's a bit of a they're one of them championship clubs where you just don't really see going anywhere. And he's, he'll probably take his family over to America, like you said. His lad plays over in America as well, so it's a great move all round. And hopefully, he does well over there. Yeah, yeah. Good luck to him. I hope he. Uh... I hope he does, and you never know. It's one of them kind of things, isn't it? If he if he does do well over there, and he, you know, he well, he kind of does exceptionally well over there. It's it it kinds of bring him back into the thinking of like clubs back here again, doesn't it? You know, so yeah, good luck to him. I hope he I hope he does really well, and I'm sure most Villa fans will be sort of looking out for for their for their results now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people who listen to this show must know how much me and you love Dean Smith. So uh, all the best to him. Right, we are going to cover City and Arsenal in this podcast, as well as talking about Bosnia as well in a few days so it feels like this podcast could go on for for hours and hours and it feels like we're not going to do this City game justice because Arsenal game is obviously a little bit more recent so we'll probably talk a little bit more about that take yourself back to that Wednesday night after the City game I was in the taxi back with Jamie going back home and I was sort of thinking is that the best result I've ever seen at Villa Park and I mean that in terms of 
the nice itself, the atmosphere, the opponents that we beat, as well as where it puts in the table. I just think all of those sort of ingredients put together, for me, one of my favourite nights ever at Villa Park. And I've heard a lot of people say that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I, I was I was thinking to myself the end of last week, where does that rank in you know games that I've been to at Villa Park? And obviously, I, I started going in the 99-2000 season. Then I had my first season to get the following year. So that's quite a while. And honestly, I genuinely believe that last week's performance against again and again because it's against the side we were playing, I suppose. But last week's performance, I think, was the mo- the, the best sort of all round. Aston Villa performance I think I've ever witnessed at Villa Park genuinely mm. um, and that feels absolutely mental to say that uh, but genuinely it was such an all-round performance and to be honest with you the scoreline did not d- do it justice no. whatsoever if we'd have won 3 or 4-0 no one would have begrudged Villa that victory mm-hmm. um, that's how good we were against arguably the best side in Europe you know they were the best side in Europe last season and they've been on a sticky run a sticky run to the English media has been three draws and one defeat to Villa so <laughs> make of that what you will it, it, it's been really it's been anything but a sticky run hasn't it it's been you know it's just been it's, it's been okay you know it's not been terrible as it there we were and we absolutely played them off the park and I think there's been a lot of comments in the media about we've never we've not seen another team do that to Man City for yes. for years now especially under Pep um, and yet Man City roll into town and that's what we do to them. And yeah, people talk about the absentees they had missing, but every team has absentees. I keep talking about this. Every team has injuries and <laughs> and we've had our fair share as well this season. And yet, like for last Wednesday, two of Man City's big players that are out was, again, due to their poor poor discipline with, with two suspensions with Grealish and, uh, and Rodri, um, which was the same when we played Spurs. They had a couple of players out suspended. So... I don't have sympathy when you've got players suspended. Just like Villa have, like this Sunday against Brentford, we've got two players suspended because of their poor discipline. So, it, it, look, it is what it is. You don't make excuses for it. But, uh, yeah, genuinely, it ranks up there for me as the best home Aston Villa performance I've seen. Yeah, I think Emi Martinez said it as well, that he's never seen anybody do that to Man City. Gary Lineker said it on Twitter as well. I think I saw that no one's ever done that to Man City. And I think if if a generic football fan logs on to BBC Sports or whatever on, on Wednesday night and they say, oh, Villa have beaten Man City, that's some result. They might think, you know, oh, they they've must have nicked it, dodgy decisions, got massively lucky, um, sort of smash and grab, whatever you want to say. But you look at the stats and if you watch that game, we absolutely dominated them. And I think that's the thing that I'm most buzzing about. The performance, for me, 100% is the best I've ever seen because of the calibre of opposition as well. And in terms of occasions, I think I was thinking back to the, the Albion playoff game in the semi-finals, the, even the Brighton game, last game of last season where we secured Europe. But I just think everything put together, it has to be the, the greatest game I, I've seen at Villa Park. It was just absolutely magical. And you're right, it could have been four or five. And it's 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 weird because the goal that we did get was a deflection. It's annoying that it wasn't one of the really nice moves, but we were just absolutely all over them. It was it was relentless, all nice. It, yeah, it was, it was mad. It was just watching the football we were playing, the absolute dominance that we had over them, the, the control of the game. It was just... And you, know, you never, ever felt in danger. You never felt like we were going to give it away or throw it away you know you you really didn't like we were we were one little up and the chap behind me was saying oh you just know they're going to come back you just know they're going to come back and win nah. and, and I turned around and I said 
this isn't the old villa. Like I understand why you think that, but this is not this is not the old villa anymore. This is a totally different breed of players and a totally different manager mm. and he's transformed his whole football club and I never ever felt in danger during that game, ever. I mean and, and the stats kind of show that. They didn't Man City didn't have a shot after the eleventh minute in that game, which mm. just sums up how well Villa controlled the game and um yeah, it was and you know what, I really love what Emery apparently said I I saw something from Jacob Tanswell from the Athletic um, and he was talking about it in the press conference the the day before the Man City game um after the cameras had stopped rolling and and the press had stopped writing their bits he was he was he was just talking to the reporters and um I think Jacob said he was really sort of engaging like he's not usually like that apparently with the press he's a bit you know he does his press conference and then he sort of goes sort of thing but he still he stuck around to talk to them after that press conference and um apparently they asked him you know how how do you stop this Manchester City side how do you do it and his response was he said you know if you if you wait for them or if you if you play sort of defensively he went they will kill you. He said, they will come for you and they will kill you. He said, he said the best tactic is to sort of play, is, is for us to play them at their own game and have a go at them. And that's, and I absolutely love that attitude. And just all the things that we've heard after the game about how he called the players into uh, to Villa Park for another training session on Wednesday morning before the game, just to work on sort of shape and, and ideas and, and then literally on Wednesday night, we literally performed every single one one of the, the shape movements that that he'd been practicing on the Wednesday morning. And I just love I just love that attitude. And apparently, again, as well as he said uh, after that press conference as well, he said, "We know Wolves beat Man City at home, but I don't want to play like Wolves. I don't want to be defensive and play on the counter attack. I want to control the game." And that's exactly what happened. And that feels crazy for for a Villa team to. To really go out there with the tactic that we're going to beat you, we're going to beat you in style by controlling the whole football match. That just it just feels mad, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, it is absolutely mad, and it kind of felt like it was wave after wave after wave. And sometimes you think, especially against the big sides, you think, okay, we're going to have a spell here for five or ten minutes where you need to capitalise, you need to get a goal, but we didn't do that. But like you said, you never really felt too much in danger because you just know Manchester City were absolutely rattled. I think especially. Especially in the first half, Kyle Walker could not catch a break. We were on top of them. And you know, I love it. It is one of my favourite things in football when somebody flies through someone, makes a great tackle or even wins the throw in and the whole stadium gets up and roars like as if we've scored a last minute winner or something. And all you've done is want to throw in. It was like that all night. The atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And I think that is exactly what Villa Park can do in terms of the atmosphere. I know it's a massive cliche, but essentially the 12th man, it felt like in that second half, the whole end sucks that ball into the goal. And that's what Unai Emery's been talking about for so long, building a connection with the supporters at Villa Park. And I know he credits our good run, uh, our incredible run, sorry, with 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 the supporters as well at Villa Park. He said that the other night, didn't he? He said, we have 11 players. He said, and 12 with the supporters. And, and, and he's right. The mm. players are just connecting with the supporters all the time, even when... Yeah, like, do you remember years ago when it was nil-nil and there always used to be, like, moans and groans around the ground and grumbles and sometimes there was, like, booze at half-time and there's none of that anymore. Like, the fans just buy in, just const- are just constantly buying in. They believe in what we're doing and they just get behind the team. Even if we have a, a setback in the game or, you know, we, we, we concede a goal or the other team gets on top, the Villa crowd just responds and roars us, roars us back into it. And, um, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been a long, long time coming, really, but probably the first manager I've ever seen to just get that, get that Villa Park crowd totally onside. And it does help. It really does help. And I think we talk about Villa Park under the lights quite a lot and that cliche and whatever. But I just, I genuinely think, like, if you if you go fly into a game and you, you know, you do put an early tackling like that or you get an early goal or an early chance, 
I think teams genuinely struggle to, to, to play against us at Villa Park because the mm-hmm. atmosphere just becomes like raucous, doesn't it? And all four sides of Villa Park just, you know, drown out the opposition. And, and I think that's happened in both games this week. I really do. And, uh, yeah, I think there's I think there's no harder place to play than Villa Park when it's like that. Yeah, we'll talk about the Arsenal game in a couple of minutes. There are some stats I want to read out from that Man City game because there are plenty of mental ones. But just before I do that, I want to just pick out Leon Bailey. I want to pick him out individually because that is the greatest game I've ever seen him play. He had the absolute game of his life. Like I said, last week he must have listened to the podcast because a couple of weeks ago we talked about him getting his head down and having a bit of confidence in himself. Since then, he scored a great goal against Bournemouth doing exactly that and against Manchester City. Mate, he was on absolute fire, and I'm glad it was him that got the goal because he had one in the first half, didn't he? Where it was on his right foot, did the right thing, but Edison made a fairly simple save. But he was absolutely constant. He had a brilliant game that night. Yeah, and full full credit to Leon Bailey because he's been exceptional in the last few weeks, and he's been very good all season, to be honest. And um, I, I like his mentality, and he I liked his interview after the Man City game. He was quite emotional, wasn't he? Uh, he was. He gave an mm. interview to. Um, to 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 Amazon and he was you know he was he was sort of saying you know I've been on a been on a tough ride here at Villa like he's you know he's gone through a few managers he's had a lot of injuries and been very inconsistent and um, Gerard didn't fancy him for whatever reason and and now he's you know he's sort of roared back and now he's performing exactly how we know he can but he's absolutely electric at the moment and it's not just his attacking either it's his defending as well I think he's getting back to help the defense out constantly and um, really like that's a side of his game that. Probably none of us knew he actually had really, but he's got it at the moment. He's got it all, hasn't he? And uh, he's a massive confidence player. We know that, but he's got such such great confidence. And when he's running at defenses with with, with the speed he's got, you know, he's, he's really unpredictable, isn't he? He's really genuinely really mm. unpredictable. And we used to say how one footed he is, but I don't I don't think he is, you know, anymore. Like genuinely, I think he looks like he's got that confidence to go at you on both feet these days. And I think he just causes havoc for the defenders. And so, yeah, I was absolutely delighted he got that goal. I thought he really, really deserved it. Yeah, we've always said about Leon Bailey, go on, just use your right foot because on the odd occasion that he does, it actually works mm-hmm. and it produces something good. But how about these stats then? These are absolutely hilarious. Pep Guardiola has managed 535 league games in Europe's big five divisions. The most shots his side has faced in the first half of any of those games with 13. The joint most shots his side has faced in any of those games overall with 22. The joint fewest shots his side has attempted in any of those games with just two shots, like you mentioned. Pep Guardiola has managed 281 Premier League games. This was the first time Man City have failed to win a single corner in 281 games. That's mental. The most shots Man City have faced in a single game with 22. And this was the most times that an opponent has won possession in the final third against Man City with 13. And that was, like I said, them being rattled, Kyle Walker not knowing what to do with the ball and us picking them off. How many How many stats there? Just, just eyebrow raising. It's just like, wow, so many firsts in that game. It was just a perfect night and it is one that I just won't forget in a very long time yeah just un- unbelievable stats and um, and it's you know like a lot of people talk about Man City in terms of oh you just have to stop them you have to stop them at, at you know at kind of source and what people mean by that is being really sort of defensive and yet Villa did it the other way Villa were like you know what we're going to stop you by controlling the ball and by controlling this game and I think I think the possession stats was like it was about, Villa had about 46 47% 46 yeah which is an insanely high number against against Man City like they usually mm. will have comfortably 60 70% of the ball and so for Villa to be pretty much 50 50 with them 
um, is is absolutely incredible. And I think like sometimes I feel like with Man City as well. Like I think you can get at them sometimes because I think they they play the ball around. They can play the ball around so slowly at times. I think you can sort of get yourself into position and sort of get the ball back off them. Like that's how they differ to Arsenal. Arsenal are very more much more direct and a lot quicker, aren't they? And so that's why the two games mm-hmm. this week were very different. But yeah, the reason why Villa were so good the other night was because we literally thought, don't care what you do, we're going to play our own game. Um, and we just absolutely dominated it. And again, like I'll go back to talking about Unai Emery's sort of tactical masterclass that he seems to come up with every week. And it was the whole, you know, I think when the team sheet came out, some of us were thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. He's leaving Carlos in after he didn't play brilliant mm-hmm. at Bournemouth. And he's, he's, he's left the RB on the bench and he's playing like four central midfielders. But he worked an absolute treat, putting the four central midfielders in, just absolutely dominated the midfield. And it was a big reason as to why Villa won. And then Diego Carlos pulls out, uh, again, probably his best performance in the Villa shirt. And he gets given the uh, Man of the Match award the other night. And so it's like, never question what this manager does because he does everything for a reason. And it, nine times out of ten, it usually comes off. And uh, yeah, I just thought he got his, again, got his tactics absolutely spot on. No, absolutely. And I remember being in the concourse an hour before the City game and thinking, like you said, Carlos, I'm not too sure about that. I would have put Conza back in the middle and cash out at right back. But that exactly shows what I know and what Emery knows. He knows best. And that kind of takes us into the Arsenal game where Diego Carlos, again, got man of the match and was an absolute monster. And Conza has looked a, a little bit shaky at times, especially in that Bournemouth game. He talks about what percentage of, of Bournemouth's attacks went down their left-hand side with Semenyo and Conza struggled a little bit. Carlos struggled a little bit. But in these two games, absolutely monstrous. Obviously, the, the more times they play that system, it's going to become they're going to become more used to it, etc. But it, it's put us in our place for sure, wasn't it? It's, it's absolutely incredible. And it worked a treat in, in, the, in those two games. Yeah, and it shows you that we can mix it up. You know, like we've been talking about Villa can't keep clean sheets. And yet, we rarely look like conceding a goal, conceding goal in those two games. And, mm. uh, you know, yeah, he comes from right at the back. I mean, Emmy Martinez is absolutely incredible. And he, he made that really early save against Man City. And, um, you know, it, it, it sort of got us sort of going again. It fires the crowd up, doesn't it, really, a save like that? Mm. Um, but then all the way through, Conza, just his usual, you know, really consistent self. And, yes, he tired late on in the game against Arsenal. But the other players as well, they're like Luca Dean, just being really consistent. Just so, so good this season, both defending and attacking. And then... You know, I'm running out of words to say about Perry Torres. Just his confidence on the ball is absolutely mad. I mean, there was a one point in the Man City game where he was under real pressure just towards his own goal. And most players just hacked that out for a throw in or just up the field. And yet he just spots Bubakar Kamara in space and just like plays it, plays like a crossfield ball towards him. It's like, how does he even see that like, that quickly? How does he even see it and get it that accurate? But I think he's helping Carlos out as well, though, in a way. I think them two are striking of actually. A decent partnership, and um, I give a, I give a lot of credit to Carlos because you know at the start of the season, pre-season, I was thinking, God, how's he going to get into this team? And I think he's been, uh, you know, while Tyrone Mings has been the victim of his injury, I think Diego Carlos has he's been given that chance in a way, really, to to sort of come back in. Um, and I said he needed football, he needed minutes. We we know he must be a decent player because we spent a lot of money on him, and he's played in the Champions League, etc. Before, you know, and I and, I, and I've said before, like I'm not convinced the is a typical Unai Emery player in terms of that his distribution at times can be not as good as like a Torres or a Conza. But I've got to say, the two games he's just played was absolutely phenomenal. And he had Haaland in his pocket on on Wednesday night and then he, he got Haaland out of his pocket and he just put Martinelli straight in his pocket, didn't he? On, uh, <laughs> on Martinelli and Jesus on, on, on Saturday night. And so... Yeah, big, big credit to the Villa's defence because I think we were talking about we couldn't keep clean sheets and all of a sudden 
They've just kept two clean sheets against the two best teams in the league. Yeah, in the Arsenal game, I think there was a pass that Pal Torres made right through the eye of a needle to John McGinn. And it was like a it was like a through ball, but it went through midfield. It split the Arsenal midfield. And I think it must have been a, a Derby chance in the second half, one of the few chances we had in that second half. But Pal Torres' passing is is an absolute joke. We were sort of when when he signed, we knew, oh, this this guy is is a great footballer, he's got great passing for a centre back, etc. But to actually see it in a villa shirt firsthand is an absolute joy. And Carlos, those two together, maybe not the, the fastest centre back pairing in the world, but they're not going to play together every single week. Like you said, it's an option, isn't it? And they've, they've been absolutely fantastic. Sometimes you will see Konza go back to centre-back to have a little bit you know, more pace at the heart of the defence, but sometimes you're not going to need it. And those two, absolute credit to them. Two clean sheets when it looked like we couldn't couldn't keep one to save our lives. The, the last one in the Premier League was against Chelsea when we beat them 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. So to keep two in a row against arguably the two best sides in the league, it's it's mental, absolutely mental. So credit to the defence. Martinez has played his part in the last couple of games as well, especially in that Arsenal game. We'll talk about him if you like. That, that save against Erdegaard in the first half against Arsenal, it's what you get with the world-class goalkeeper. I think that save was really, actually, it's been really underrated. I think everyone just thinks Erdegaard just shot straight at Martinez. But if you watch it, Martinez is looking at Erdegaard and he's thinking, right, where's he going here? Like He's not just, he's not just flinging himself around thinking, oh, he's just going to shoot. He's really like thinking, right, okay, he's shifted it over now. Where's he going to sort of place it? And Erdegaard did that deliberately. He was trying to just place it into the corner where Martinez probably wouldn't have been going. And yet Martinez is so quick thinking and he's so intelligent. And he makes that save look easy. Um, and it was it was a, a great save. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant sort of tactical goalkeeper save, I would say. Like he's really thought about that. In the in the split seconds he's had to think about it, he's really thought it through and, and he's made a an absolute brilliant save. And and that's what he does though. Like every it feels like every single game, Emmy Martinez will will come up with some kind of world class save. It's it's like having Having Emmy Martinez there is like having like a like a top world class sort of striker. It's like having an Ollie Watkins in goal, isn't it? It saves you points, like it wins you points constantly. And he's just and he loves it, doesn't he? Emmy Martinez, he absolutely loves it. Like <laughs> like the just just the banter he gives like the other fans, and I just I, I just I absolutely love it. He like he really like gets up for the games, doesn't he? Uh, and I, I just think he's absolutely incredible. I absolutely love the blow. Yeah, that save was like proactive, not reactive. A lot of goal, well, pretty much all goalkeepers would just wait for the ball to leave Odegaard's foot. But it was like a penalty, wasn't it? He, he basically gambled before Odegaard had kicked it because he was basically already mm. diving before he'd made the shot. And if he didn't do that, he's that close, Odegaard, that it would have gone straight in the back of the net. So that's absolutely world-class. And he literally bleeds for Villa, doesn't he? Obviously for the Havertz handball at the end, which we'll come on to a bit later. He got a kick to the face. I think it was from Matty Cash. He's literally bleeding down his face. He turns to the whole end and fist bumps mm. and just roars. Like, <laughs> what more do we say about him every single week? Like, that guy is the just the perfect goalkeeper. He is so good. Not just his ability, the way he is, like you said, tapping the badge in front of the Arsenal fans against his former club. World class, and that's why he's number one. Oh, I just love the bloke, and like, like even after the game, a lot of people might not have seen this, but obviously I sit up in the north stand, and he, uh, he, he obviously started his celebrations down at the Holt end, and then he came all the way around, and he was sort of clapping the north stand, and then he turns to the Arsenal fans who were sort of just about leaving, um, and he and he first looks like he's about to like clap the, them. Uh, but they're all giving him a bit of stick, and then he just starts waving at them, and like it was so funny, just waving them goodbye, like really like winding them up. And Arsenal fans were seething at that, like they were going absolutely mad. And then obviously Hi Ho Silverline is playing in the background, and Martinez returns and does the Hi Ho Aston Villa with his arms like held aloft in the air, and 
I just he's, he's just funny. I just think the bloke he's absolutely incredible. I, I just love him. He's a great character, especially what happened last year at Villa Park. Obviously, with it coming off his back for Arsenal to win it in like the ninety third minute, and then all that nonsense that happened with him going up for the corner. Yeah. Emery didn't want him to do that, just for it to come full circle against his former side, where Villa gave him that chance. We all know the story. He was at Arsenal for years and years and years since he was such a young lad, and just for that to for him to be so crucial in in the game the other night, absolutely world class. Talk about the goal, then got to talk about the goal. I think it was I think it was quite an interesting point actually that Villa. I'm not sure obviously who made the call to shoot before uh, shoot towards the halt. Uh, in the first half, because obviously we don't normally do that. We had a spell, didn't we, last season? Or was it this season where we did it in quite a few games on the on the spin? But we shoot it towards the halt in the first half. Do you reckon that was part of the game plan? Because I think it was quite an interesting one. We talked about how this Man City game and the Arsenal game were going to be massively different because this game was so close to the Man City game just a few days before where obviously the, the team was unchanged. A lot of the players might have been running a little bit low on energy. I think maybe there was something in it that shooting towards the halt, start early like we did so many times last last season, get yourself an early goal, give yourself something to protect. Do you reckon there was something in that? I don't know. It could have been. I mean, watching the coin toss, it looked like Arsenal turned us around, to be honest. That's what it looked like. Oh, okay. But I don't... I was talking I was talking to my brother about this when, when it happened, and I, I don't know why they think it's... I don't know why they think it's going to be a disadvantage to us, because, you know, we, we, we just then have the whole centre roaring from the kickoff, and then we just... You know, we, we aim for that sort of early goal, don't we? And... And then you know if we go you know we go one nil up and then Arsenal in the second half having to shoot towards the whole end away from their own sort of supporters. I don't know why they think they're going to get a better like a better like an advantage out of it because it mm. it rarely really works does it so but it could have been I don't know it looked it looked to me like the coin toss Arsenal had won it and they turned us around but I could be wrong with that I, I don't know. Talk about the goal then it's it's a great move match of the day didn't quite show it but I think Villa tweeted it didn't they how many passes it was before the goal from defence to attack Leon Bailey once again does outrageously well. He Chops back on that left foot and McGinn sort of he darts towards goal, doesn't he? But I think it's Ben White that's right next to him. He sort of peels off him, doesn't he? A little bit, rolls on the ball. It was sort of similar to Solanke's goal. He sort of has that touch, runs on it, and he knows where the goal is and he fires it in. I think McGinn said himself after the game, but it probably wasn't the, the cleanest strike ever. But to go early, go go one nil up so early. John McGinn, world class again. Bailey, unbelievable. Great, great goal in front of the whole tent. It was just absolutely liquid, wasn't it? It was an absolutely incredible goal, and um, I don't know if you saw that, but there was only one player who didn't touch the ball in the in the in the build up to that goal, and that was Luca Dean, Villa's left back. Every other player touched the ball during that goal, even from right from the goalkeeper, which. That's just absolutely incredible, isn't it? I mean, what a ridiculous goal. And like it was just so calm all the way through. Like I love like Tielemans, like really quick ball through to Bailey. Like that was like really quick thinking from Tielemans. And then Bailey in that position at the moment is just like frightening and he just knew he was going to deliver something decent. And McGinn just gets himself into an unbelievable position. And that's what the manager's been telling him to do this season. He wants him to score more goals. He wants him to get in the box. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He found himself in a great position and just yeah, what one touch with his one foot and then just strikes it with the other one and yeah, one 0 Villa and just an unbelievable goal. And McGinn said in the post match that um, he had a similar one in one of the European games uh, at Villa Park and um, he, he didn't quite do that. And so the, the he was saying how many like analysts like Villa have got behind the scenes and he was saying how if that happens again and Bailey, and Bailey or Diaby whoever it is cuts it back to you, take a touch with one foot to strike with the other one, sort of spin and, and shoot and see what happens. And then yeah, he did it. Ends up being in the back of the net and. Uh, but yeah, one of my favourite, favourite goals for a long time that was. It was just 
breathtaking from back to front. One goal last season for John McGinn. He's now on six. Six in all competitions and we're still in December. Four in the Premier League, two in the Conference League. That's absolutely unbelievable. And it was a little bit backs to the wall, wasn't it, in that first half? I think Arsenal grew into it. Obviously, it was going to be so different to that Man City game. We were fresh for that City game. We were up for it. We had to sort of be sensible in this game. We couldn't play like we did the other night, obviously, because the opponent's different and we can have different tactics. But just because how hard we went on Wednesday, you kind of... I don't think Villa are at their best, let's say, for sure. At times, we did ride our luck a little bit. But then you talk about the Martinelli chip over uh, Martinez that Diego Carlos... People say cleared off the line, but that was yeah. that makes it sound like it was last ditch. It was fairly comfortable, wasn't it? I mean, he just kicked it away. It was nowhere near the line. But I think, especially in that first half, we rode our luck at times, but you're not going to sit in third place as Aston Villa and not have elements of luck. I mean, you look at the, the, our most recent defeat against Forest. We didn't have luck that day. Martinez tries to make a save and it bounces so high and goes in the goal. So you have luck. Sometimes you don't. That's football. And I think in the first half especially, and going into the second half, we definitely had a bit of luck, didn't we? I think I think an element of it. I think you get an element of luck in every game. But I think if you look at, if you look at the game, Villa had to play it differently. And... Um, Obviously, there was they put so much effort into Wednesday night that we, they were going to be tired against Arsenal. There was no doubt about it. I mean, it's hard playing Wednesday, Saturday, but I think it's even harder if you're playing the two best sides in the league. If you're playing, yeah. you know, say like a Luton or somebody could come to Villa Park or a Fulham like the other week, it, it might have been different. Our performance might have been different, but I think we knew Arsenal are quick on the ball. They're, they'll shift it quick. They'll try and beat your sort of high line, and that's what they were trying to do. But And I think I said for the game, we're going to have to be a bit more direct. I think we're going to have to be, and we need to target Zinchenko down that wing, and that's exactly what we did. We got him booked in the first half, um, and obviously Bailey was a sort of menace, and then Diaby came on, and most of our joy came down that side. It, it did. But I think when you look at it, though, we didn't give up that many chances, though, again. We, we really didn't. Like, OK, you had the Erdegaard one in the first half. You had uh, that one, what you just said, which was, well, they're saying it was cleared off the line, but it, it, it wasn't off the line. It was a comfortable mm. sort of defensive sort of, you know, movement by Carlos. And then second half, they had, um, they obviously had the, the Erdegaard uh, shot, which he probably should have scored from. But yeah. you, you're always going to give up chances against anybody, especially against the best sides in the league. But I think on, on the overall play, I was quite pleased with how little chances we actually did give up. I don't, they didn't pepper us at all. They, it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were all over us in terms of creating constant chances. I, I felt fairly not in that much danger, even though we didn't have a lot of the ball on Saturday night. I, I always felt like we were kind of, you know, in, in control a little bit. I didn't, I didn't ever feel massively in danger. And so, I think for Villa, I think Villa's sort of defensive line has a lot of credit for that. And we obviously we caught them offside a load of times again. And uh, Villa's mm. high line, the much well, people have been criticising the high line for some weird reason in, in some circles in the media. But now, now they're loving it all of a sudden because it was so, it was so, it was so uh, positive and caught Arsenal out so many times the other night. So I think it's just a massive credit to to the defence and, and the midfield um, for keeping them out. You know, we, we literally didn't give, give up many chances. So. Yeah, big big credit to them. Yeah, that Martinelli chip in the first half, I think that was even offside. Saka obviously had a goal disallowed in the second half because he was offside. But there are a couple of moments that I just do want to get your thoughts on. The Louise tackle on Gabriel Jesus, the uh, penalty claim for Arsenal. I can sort of see it both ways. I think if that's a Villa player, I'm probably screaming at the TV. But... I think I think what doesn't go in Arsenal's favour is the fact that every single... And this comes from the manager, by the way, who we'll talk about in a minute. 
But every single time anything happens, they're surrounding the referee and they're moaning and they're shouting. They've got their arms in the air. Literally, Jesus, how many times? Literally from kickoff. Villa were just taking like a bog standard goal kick. He's got his arms in the air or Martinez has got the ball in his hands and he's had it for only a couple of seconds and Jesus is moaning. I think that all comes from Arteta, who I really, really strongly dislike. But they were just moaning, moaning, moaning. And we've talked about it previously on the podcast and I've sort of called for Villa to do that a little bit more but I think Arsenal they go beyond the line it's absolutely ridiculous yes sometimes and I think this comes from Emery as well it always comes from the manager doesn't it Emery's not that type he's all about respect always never talks about referees whatever whatever so Villa don't really do that too much obviously there's an element to it because it's football moaning in the referee's face to get something but Arsenal the other night mad over the top isn't it well yeah Jesus looked like he was literally about to break down in tears during that first half it was like he always does he always does proper weird um <laughs> but on the penalty look on the penalty show it's one of them ones isn't it I've seen them given and I, and I think there was one during the Crystal Palace game earlier in on, on in the day which was fairly similar and and the referee gave it and you know if it look if it was up the other end and Villa were appealing for it I'd probably appeal for it but I'm I've got to say I think that's a. I think that would have been a really, really soft penalty to give. I just, I just don't. Okay, maybe this is the modern day, and we say, oh, it's a penalty these days. But really, was that really a penalty? I mean, and what didn't help him was the fact he went down rolling over like he'd been shot. Yep. And I think, and I think what the referee and the VAR were looking at was was the contact enough to send him over like that? And the answer is no, absolutely. I mean, he made contact. He did make. Of course, he made contact. But you, again, you're going to make contact. You, if you, if you, I just think if you start giving penalties for for players making contact like that, then we're going to have penalties literally every few minutes because you're always going to make some kind of contact. It's it's a contact sport. You, you, you're not going to avoid that. You can't tell me that Louise's kick made him roll over like that. And what really annoys me, um, especially in the, this day and age of VAR and everything else, is that. They how how much they slow it down, and it's always going to look yeah. it's always going to look worse when you slow it down. But you play that at full pace, and you look at it, you think that is not a penalty, mate. Grow up and get up off the floor because that that's not a penalty. No, I agree, and I think that's the point I was going to bring up now. When I watched it back on TV on Match of the Day, you watch it normal from the TV, sort of from the halfway line, whatever, absolutely no way. It's so quick, no way. But you're right. They've got two angles behind the goal where it's so slow. And yeah, we all know he's kicked him. Of course he has. But Jesus is on his, he lands on his back somehow because he's sort of rolling in the air. He's got his arms up before he's even hit the floor. And he's he's crying like a baby and holding himself. It's like, yeah, we, we know he's kicked you, but... Yeah absolutely no way is it enough to do that absolutely no way and just that was the theme throughout the game wasn't it I think I think it was in the first half where they're sort of counter-attacking and it's one of them you know where the player sort of kicks it past somebody but they know they're not going to get it so they just jump into the defender mm, yeah. there was one of them and fair play to the referee because he didn't give it like the, the amount of times you just see referees conned by something like that where somebody knows they're not going to get the ball so all they do is just throw themselves into the into the defender and pretend they've been absolutely clattered when they haven't because they've initiated the contact that happened quite a few times through the night and fair play to the referee because he wasn't fooled by it mm. Saka was down so many times just feigning injury and it's like, it's so obvious and it's it's not just in this game like I watch loads of football and it's so frustrating people talk about it all the time about how footballers sort of fake injury but it was absolutely ridiculous the other night and on the whole I was quite happy that the referee didn't really stand for it no, I thought the referee did all right, to be fair. I thought, he, I thought he did okay. But I, I don't think they helped themselves, though. I think what you just said there about a lot of players going down and, you know, feigning injury and they're having the physio on constantly for, like, nothing nothing tackles that weren't even given as, 
as as fouls, and I and I just think they 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 hampered themselves because they were one 0 down. It's not like they were trying to waste time or something. They just they just hampered themselves because then time just went on and on. And I know the Villa Park crowd was you know the Villa Park crowd was sort of screaming for them to you know get on with it and you know get off. And I was thinking stay down. I'm quite happy with that to be honest with you. Like yeah. waste some more time, lads. It's absolutely fine. You're playing into our hands here. Like that's absolutely perfect. But yeah, you know what? I thought the referee did all right. There was one absolute baffling decision from the referee, though, which I have to talk about because um, it's a common theme that we talk about referees. But I know what you're going to say. It Go was on. the it was how he uh, how obviously the ball got put out by uh, by Arsenal because there was a player down on the floor, and then it was you obviously you start with a restart with a throw into Villa, and obviously Villa yeah throw it back to the throw it back to the Arsenal defence or the keeper. Then the referee decides to pick up the ball and let Arsenal just take it from wherever they want to. And I was thinking, what are you doing? Like you, you're not even playing to the rules now. Like this is just an absolute joke. Like it's a throw-in. It's literally a throw-in. We could do what we like with a mm. throw-in. We could actually, if we wanted to be really unsportsmanlike, we could have just carried on and played off the throw. There's really... no rule against that, is there? There's no rule against it. And yeah, and yeah, he, he just he picks the ball up and he just gives it to them, like literally in the middle of the park, <laughs> even though it was much further back than that. So yeah, that was one little bone of contention I had with the ref and the constant like reminded of Martinez, even though he literally just received the ball. It was he's not time wasted. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but no, apart from that, if you go overall, he, the referee had a had a, had a decent game, yeah. Havertz handball then, let's brush over this uh, late on. I think I'd had quite a few drinks in the pub at this point, so I was never really in too much danger. And I think this is where I had a better viewpoint on things than you in the stadium because I looked at the replay obviously immediately so I kind of knew right there's a handball in there and I know the law that if it hits the forward's hand automatically it's going to be ruled out and I saw that immediately Mm. how was it for you in the ground obviously not seeing it how long did it go on for a little while how was that for you in the ground yeah it went on it went on for a while but um, I, I think I was relatively safe in my mind as well because me and my brother were talking as soon as it happened. We were like, he's, he's handballed that. He, we, we've seen him handball that. And I think it was because he handballed it. It wasn't just once, was it? It was literally like two or three yeah. times like in that move. And um, I, I was pretty confident it was going to be, it was, it was stay ruled out. And even though they took a long time to look at it, the reason obviously why they took a long time to look at it was because um, it was such a melee, wasn't it, between like a few people mm. and... Um, uh, it was diffi- it was difficult to see, wasn't it, on them replays? And sometimes them replays make it worse. Like they make the image so like blurry, don't they? That you can't you yeah. can't hardly see anything. But I think when you play at full speed, you see it. To be honest, so it probably didn't need to be as long as it was. But I I, I felt relatively comfortable. I think yeah, you get a bit twitchy, don't you? The longer it takes, you get a little bit twitchy or what are they looking at? Are they really trying to find something to give here? But it was handball. Like, look, whether we like the law or not, I think there's been a lot of talk about the handball rule and I'm not a massive fan of it, to be honest. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't understand it. It does feel a bit backward that the defender can handball it. Mm. Uh, the, the striker can't. It does feel a bit weird, that does. But it is what it is. That is the rule. And so playing by the rules, it was handball. Yeah, it is a weird one. Defenders can accidentally handball it, but forwards absolutely can't. It is weird. It depends on what shirt you're wearing, but like you said, that's the rule and it goes by that. I think fair play to the referee as well because he spotted it in real time, mm-hmm. didn't he? Which you don't often see and we criticise referees an awful lot, but fair play because he spotted it immediately, which stops the uh, Arsenal celebrations. In the pub, there was one Arsenal. I think mostly the pub I was in was mostly Arsenal fans. I was sat next to a couple of guys I don't think really cared and they were just finding it hilarious because I was 
like I said, I saw this immediately and I saw that, like you said, Havertz had handballed it a couple of times. So I was just saying like twice, twice, he's handballed it twice. This Arsenal fan was like tapping his chest saying it's hit his chest and I was just absolutely laughing. And then on the commentary, they say that um, the on-field decision stands and he thinks that means it's a goal. So this Arsenal fan celebrating, not even watching the game. And I'm just absolutely laughing in his face and it's absolutely hilarious. It's so weird. Like we talk about it, you know, when, you know, when people watch football and they have like no sort of, indication yeah, or they yeah. clearly don't know what's going to happen because he celebrated you know the Saka offside goal as well oh yeah this Arsenal fan celebrated the Saka offside goal and it's like yeah but if you know anything about Villa or know anything about football you know that's going to be tight and obviously it, got, it was given offside immediately this guy was celebrating it's like come on man it made it so funny it made it so so funny he's probably never been to a football match in his life though let's be totally honest about it. it's like it's like it's like a lot of these ones you see on like on like YouTube during a match down they're all watching like live like they're doing like live watch lungs and stuff and you can just like from their like, reactions to it you can just tell like I bet you've never been to a football match have you and like oh, I think I was watching one after you know the Spurs after Villa beat Spurs the way there was there was, a, there was like a live watch which I recommended to me on YouTube you know you watch it afterwards and I clicked on it and like I watched it all the way through because I was baffled by this bloke's reactions to everything and it was like you kept celebrating all them offside goals you remember Spurs kept scoring all them offside goals mm. he was literally celebrating like mad for every single one I was thinking like would you not learn your lesson here like I just I genuinely think like Premier League, the Premier League has branched out massively hasn't it and you see it on like Twitter like the idiot, 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 like idiocy comments that you see on Twitter and I just think like he's branched out that much that we've got like supporters now of the Premier League don't really get football and they they will never go near an English stadium if their life depended on it kind of thing. And I think we kind of got that. So that's what that bloke probably was, to be honest. I mean, shock Arsenal fans sitting there in in in, in Nottingham. You know what? A, what a, <laughs> you just said there, the pub was full of Arsenal, and like that's something we keep noticing. Like you know, when we're in pubs up and down, like say we've gone for a weekend, like like in Bournemouth, mm. for instance, and like. There's just like oh. loads of random like Man U fans or something like that. And you're like, what's going on? It's the same here? in Birmingham though. It's the same in Birmingham. You notice it on like when Villa have played and you go into the pub after to watch the R5 and it's like Liverpool or United or City. And like they score against like somebody, I don't know, whoever, and like a less big side or whatever. And like the whole pub yeah. erupts. It's like, imagine how big Villa would be if actually all the Brummies supported Villa. I mean, it's evident the state blues are in. They can't even fill their shambles of a stadium. So imagine if all the Brummies actually supported the local teams. Exactly. It's weird, man. Exactly. But you get all these people who just haven't got a clue. And so, yeah, I'm not even surprised by that. Celebrate. Like, can't can't even watch a game and think, well, that might be outside here. Probably better not celebrate like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be an expert to, 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 to know that. So... Yeah, embarrassing. No, it was hilarious. I think there was one other proper Villa fan in the pub that I noticed and we were sort of embracing singing we're going to win the league after the game which was absolutely fantastic in a pub full of what seemed like Arsenal fans so that was interesting just rounding off the Arsenal chat then there was a couple of comments after the game that I really really liked Emery was asked are you in a title race and he said we are we are I think he was sort of brushing it off a little bit but he sort of mentioned it which is again it's just mental to see but my favourite comment was Martinez saying I'm a believer mate I love that it sort of rings as you know when he said Villa's a big club mate it's just like we raved about him earlier, but again, I love that comment. I absolutely love it. I'm a believer, mate. What a guy. Well, it, it just shows you where the mentality is in the squad. And, you know, it shows you that they, they all believe in what we're doing. And, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I think the title talk sort of scares me a little bit. Um, Ooh, don't ruin the mood, no, Simon. Come on. I, I don't know. It, it, I, I just <laughs> think it's a natural feeling of a Villa fan, isn't it? And I, and, I, and I think I've seen a lot of things in the last couple of days on like loads of different podcasts and on Sky and stuff. And, they're saying, like, are Aston Villa genuine contenders? And It's for clicks. It's for clicks. I don't understand the question, if I'm being honest. 
to you because I don't because the reason why and I say I'll just try and I'll try and explain why I don't really understand the question because when we talk about it look we we what we're 16 games in, into the Premier League season we're not mass we're not massive amounts into the Premier League season because Unai Emery said if you're 30 31 games in then you can start talking about it but mm-hmm. I think the reason why like if you if you're saying it from from where Villa are in the table today obviously you would have to say that we're in contention of course but I don't think it's as simple as that, though. We we all talk about how Arsenal, City, Liverpool are, are are genuine contenders for the Premier League, and the reason why we say that is because they've got history, they've got form of doing it over a course mm. of a thirty-eight game season, like and over like a period of like years. We know that we know they're going to be in contention because they always are in contention, kind of thing, and so they've, they've proved it to us already. I don't know how you can you can't say that about us at the moment, can you? Like, yeah, we're doing absolutely amazingly, and yes, as it currently stands, we're third in the Premier League table, two points off top. As it currently stands, yes, of course, we, we you, of course we are. If, you, if that's if that's how simple the question is, but I just think there's more. I think there's more to it. You can't compare us the likes of like a City, Arsenal, Liverpool, can you? Because we haven't we haven't been a contender, and so I just don't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can predict how how Villa are going to. Fair right up until the final, uh, like thir- you know, match week thirty eight of the season. So I think that's just impossible. But as it currently stands, where we currently are, then yeah. But let let's be third in. Let's be third in like game week thirty one, thirty two. Yeah. Uh, on two points off the league, and then I'll say, come on, then let's really go for it now. But look, no, nah, look, I'm not trying to play it down. I'm not trying to play it down because we are we're doing incredibly, and of course we've got a chance in terms of where we are. Of course, but. I don't want to get too hung up on it. I don't want people to be disappointed. You know, like we're we're at the start of the season. I think some of us were talking. I mean, I said at the start of the season with our injuries. I said if we have a decent run in the Conference League and we finish tenth, I'd be happy. Top ten, I said. Mm. And yet here we are. And like now, like okay, I think it will come to a point where now, you know, fans might feel a little bit disappointed if we don't finish in the Champions League in the top five. But I just want to. I just want to see how where we get. To be honest, and I just think there's so much excitement and stuff. I just want to take each game as it comes and. Just see where we are towards the end of the season because I think we will be up there. I really do. Uh, but whether we'll be in the hunt for the title, who knows? Far too sensible you are. Far too sensible. And people only people only say these things to get sort of a title on a podcast or a title on a video. And I get it. I do get it. But I think that's why yeah, this podcast isn't doing as well because we don't clickbait things like that. It's not clickbait though, is it? Because like you said, no. like at the moment we are. I get it. I do get it. But yeah, I think it's. I think that kind of feeds into what uh, John McGinn was saying after the Arsenal game where he was he was. He didn't mention Man United or, or Tottenham or Chelsea. Chelsea, I mean, we've only got double the amount of points yeah. as Chelsea. But in general, you could kind of tell that he was saying, look, these sides have been there and done it. Exactly. Man United, although they've been crap for a decade, like they've got pedigree, they've got history, they know how to do it. They've played in Europe like for the last however many years, of course, they have. This is the first time Villa have played in Europe for 13 years. Like This is new to the vast majority of these players. Like This is still Emery's first yeah. season, so... We're not. It's not certain that we're going to finish in the top four or top five. But my God, it, it looks good though, doesn't it? I mean, look, two points off the top of the league: Liverpool on thirty-seven, Arsenal thirty-six, Villa on thirty-five, uh, Man City uh, obviously winning at Luton at the weekend, just behind us on thirty-three. But we're eight points from like slipping out of the top six. Eight points from slipping out of the top six. Man United on twenty-seven. <sighs> That's mental. And even like Man United losing at the weekend against Bournemouth 3-0, getting battered at Old Trafford. I mean, people were saying that our points at Bournemouth, rescuing a point late on, was a bad one. So again, keep keeping ourselves unbeaten, just ticking along. It, it's proved out well. Third in the league, two off the top. Happy days. Well, but you're right, because Bournemouth are now top of the form table now. Like they're, they're the form team in the division. And so, um, you know, they've won four out of the last five. And the one they didn't win was against Villa. 
So for us to get a last minute equaliser at Bournemouth, it now actually shows what a decent point it was. Mm. But yeah, it, it's that consistency. It's that consistency that Villa have got. And I spoke about it weeks ago. I said the Villa have got a level of consistency which only the top teams do have. And that's what, that is generally what we've got. And I think if we carry on, then there's, of course, we, we, we will be there, won't we? We will literally, as Steve Bruce once has famously said, we will be there or thereabouts. Um, <laughs> so. So yeah, absolutely. Like, look, we're doing amazingly, um, and I've got I've got absolute full confidence that the players will continue in this current vein, and I've got absolutely no doubt that we will be up there because that's how highly I rate this team and how highly I rate this manager. Um, yeah, so happy days, absolutely. And just before we crack on to the um, brief Bosnia chat at the end of this podcast, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know you're going to hate this, and I'm not going to stop the podcast unless you give me an answer. Champions League this season or a Conference League win? No. Now, I know, let, let's let's go let's go for both. Let's go for both. No. Like, this is all theoretical. It's hypothetical. I get it. It's not actually going to happen. Would you rather get this season, finish in the Champions League spaces or win the Europa Conference League? I'll answer it, but I'll have, I'll have to answer it with a follow-up answer as well, though, if you let me. It's too so, sensible, no. No, I, I, will an- <laughs> oh, no, I will answer. I will give you an answer. Um, and people might give me some pelters, but I'd rather finish in the Champions League. Um, and the reason... For- I think I think that's the more common answer at the moment, you know. Okay. I think so. Okay, and, and, and I think the reason for it is just that it's so important for the future of the football club in terms of generating extra revenue, getting better players in, having more sustained success... I think it's I think it's really important. It's as important as it was all them years ago when we were vying for Champions League under Marcelo O'Neill. And being younger there, maybe I didn't see it at the time. I remember being absolutely fuming when we threw the UEFA Cup game against uh, Moscow uh, to to try and finish fourth. I mean, in the end, we didn't finish fourth, so it was pointless. But I remember being fuming at that point. But all these years on, I wouldn't say O'Neill got that right that decision. But all these years on, I still I can kind of see his thinking now. I didn't back there. I didn't. But I think, for me, it would be that. But the, my follow-up to it was that it definitely doesn't have to be just that, though. And the reason why I say that, and this is where people outside of Villa don't actually understand it, people outside of Villa talk about our lack of depth in the squad and how we're going to tire out and you, uh, Conference League is going to kill us and whatever. And it's absolute rubbish. And the reason why it's rubbish is because we've seen, in terms of Villa's Conference League games, we have been able to rotate the squad. We have got actually got good depth within the squad these days. Um, and yet, even when the play, even when some of the first teams have played in the Conference League, it's been like a literally stroll in the park in terms of we literally haven't got out of first gear the whole night. We've literally been walking around, passing the ball, conserving energy, taking our best players off after 50, 60 minutes. We've done that continuously throughout this Conference League campaign. And we still, we're still we're first in the group. And if obviously, if we get a point on Thursday night, we do top the group. And then remember, we don't then play a game until March. I don't think it's an I don't think it's an either scenario. I think it's I genuinely think we could do both. Like I say, if you're asking me right now which one, if I had to choose, I would choose finishing the Champions League just because I know for the future of the football club it's the better thing. But I'm desperate to win silverware as well. I'm desperate. I've never seen Villa win anything and I'm absolutely desperate for it. And so I don't want to. I don't want to choose one. I want. I want everything. I want every competition going. So <laughs> let's go FA Cup. I want everything. So let's let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Not the League Cup though. We won't talk about that. Yeah. Um. I think I'd go with the same answer as well, just because I think would would it be a better achievement? I think you alluded to it there. I think it potentially would be. I mean, you look at the standard of 
teams in the conference league. Don't get me wrong, it would be a fantastic achievement. I mean, I've just talked about we haven't been in Europe for 13 years, so immediately coming in and winning a, a trophy would be outrageous. But people were talking about at the start how Alkmaar got to the semi-final a couple of years ago and uh, pretty hot favourites to win this, one of the favourites. We absolutely dispatched them away from home and essentially at home with ease. So, look, I think it would be a huge achievement. And like you said, I'm desperate to win silverware as well. It would be amazing Like for the trips that we do. It is so, so good and I love it. And I'm not just saying Champions League because I like the thought of going to the Bernabeu following Villa, of course. I just think it opens up a whole new world yeah. for Aston Villa next season. Everybody talks about FFP, which, of course, we've got to talk about. Me and you have talked a sort of off-air about we've sort of got the feeling in our bellies that we might have to sell one of our big players at some point because we can't just keep spending money and spending money and not expect at some point that we might have to sell a, a Kamara or a Martinez at some point. Those are just random names, by the way. I'm just picking out of nowhere because it, essentially at some point, this is football, it's a business, it's going to happen at some point. I just think with you look at Newcastle, you know, what they've done there, the blueprint, that would be absolutely amazing. I'd love to replicate that. And I just think the money you get from the Champions League, we all know that football is all about money. And I just think the Champions League would be absolutely amazing. But like you said, why not both? Absolutely, why not both? But put your neck on the line. We've both gone with Champions League. Right, let's talk a little bit about Bosnia then. We're pushing an hour on this podcast, so we'll keep this fairly brief. Um, Bosnia, in a couple of days, I've watched Villa in the UK, France, Germany, Spain, the Netherlands, Poland, America, Dubai, which was one year ago today, as of recording, by the way. But I think Bosnia, apart from the uh, the America trip, maybe, but that was something different. For a one-off game, I think Bosnia is probably the one I'm most looking forward to, purely because of the fact that it's just random, isn't it? And when we got ourselves into the, the sort of conference league, you sort of were buzzing for these trips to sort of obscure countries and places that else elsewhere at the time you, you would just never go to. Yeah, exactly. And it's why I, it's why I really like the conference league. Uh, I think I said it to you in Alkmaar, didn't I? Like, you'd never go to Alkmaar before. You know, you would never think, oh, I'm going to go to Alkmaar. And yet, it was a really nice place. And and you'd never, I'd never even, I'll be honest, I'd never even heard of Mustar. Um, and so for us to be heading there this week, yeah, it's going to be, incredible and yeah that's what i like about that's what, I, that's what i like about the conference league though people you know people will slam it people will slam the conference league but you look at teams like Zrinski mustar and some of the other teams like klaktovic um from the where are they from the faroe islands is it or, yeah faroe islands yeah and then you've got yeah you've got you've got a few haven't you from like really like obscure places around europe and you think like mm. when would these teams ever get the opportunity to play in europe other than the conference mm. league and so people will slam it but i think it's a, i think it's a really good tournament i, I i've really yeah. enjoyed it so far and um yeah, I'm buzzing for this week. I can't wait. Yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely, for the same reasons as you, I think it's amazing. Anybody that slams it, just they they don't they don't know anything. So our plans are Thursday morning, fly from Luton to Sarajevo, get to sort of Bosnia, Sarajevo for midday ish, and then we've got about two hour journey over to Mostar through the mountains, through rural villages, along rivers, round lakes. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And then we get to sort of Mostar in the afternoon, don't we? And then we've got a couple of hours there, and then we've got the game. So when we get there, it's quite a, a quick turnaround, but we stay in Mostar on Thursday night and then we've got all of Friday, head to Sarajevo, head back to Sarajevo in the afternoon then we fly home via Belgrade in Serbia on Saturday night and then we go straight to London Luton, straight to a hotel in London then following day, Brentford away non-stop for us, isn't it mate? Can't wait Yeah, and you've just reminded me, I've got to remember to bring the Brentford tickets because that could uh, oh God. that could really scuff our plans but no, yeah, we were, that's, yeah, it's going to be a hectic one, it's going to be a really busy one but uh Sampling a few different cities, driving in Bosnia through the mountains, yeah, and the weather's absolutely bizarre. It's like 15 degrees in Mostar, so it's going to be like shorts weather in Mostar, and then for some weird reason, you go an hour and a half 
to the east to Sarajevo and uh, the weather forecast is snow. So uh, <laughs> so it literally be still shorts, still shorts. It will be summer one minute and then it will be Merry Christmas the next minute when we're in Sarajevo. <laughs> so um going to be bizarre. I can't, I'm really looking forward to it, as you know. Uh, I'm a bit of a history buff, so I can't. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the some of the history around the place in Mostar and Sarajevo. Mm. So, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing for it. And uh, yeah, Villa's last final group game in the Conference League. You can't believe it, can you? It feels like it's gone so quick. Like it feels like like only a minute ago we were waiting for that uh, playoff draw when it was being made against Hibs. Um, yeah, and yet here we are, like the last game of the group. It's been yeah, it's been mad, hasn't it? Yeah, it kind of feels like the football is the last thing I'm thinking about with this trip, purely because I'm just so excited for the trip and to go to all these new cities. Yeah, you talk about the history there, and I was reading up a little bit about Mustar earlier, and it's so so interesting. Obviously, that the war that sort of ended over there in the nineties, it's just so so interesting. So uh, keep your eye out on Villa on Talks. I'm going to do a little bit of a history lesson, so I'm sure Simon, you'll love to get involved in that because it is very. Yeah. very interesting the sort of politics and everything that go has, has obviously gone on in Bosnia it's a really interesting one so keep your eye out on Villa on tour for a little history lesson in the next couple of days quickly touch on this then in terms of the team I think you're probably going to see someone like uh, well Louise and Dean are probably going to start purely because they're out of the um, the Brentford game but I think apart from that you might as well fully rotate I think as long as we avoid defeat we're going to top the group you'll probably see Cash, Moreno, Longley, Diaby, Zaniolo, Duran, Dendonka, Jacob Ramsey I've basically just read the bench there from the Arsenal game but all of those guys are going to start Olsen wasn't on the bench for Arsenal but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even take Emmy Martinez to Bosnia I'd probably why not start Philip Marshall? Marshall it's not like he's yeah it's fine yeah it's not like he's someone from the crowd is it nah. like he's still he's still a professional you know goalkeeper so absolutely why not but I think yeah rest as many people as possible we'll still have more than enough to get over the line in my opinion yeah we will I'm sure we will we only need we only need a point and that's if Leggy a win, and by the way, we're all rooting for AZ Altmar, aren't we, Villa fans? We of are course. indeed. Of course we are. We're all AZ fans as well on Thursday night, so yeah, it'll be it'll be the Villa game first, and then I'll be glued to my phone because we really want AZ to win. I, I, I'm not sure why we want AZ to win, but <laughs> there, there we go. Now, I, I, you know what? I can't. I just can't wait for this trip. It's going to be great, and uh, yeah, Villa get a point, top the group, and then we got a bit of a rest until March, and that's what. That's what we all want. We can really concentrate on our sort of title charge then, can't we? Oh, the away end as well at Mustar. It's absolutely outrageous. It's a cage. It's like stones. Yeah. It's burnt. Half of it is. It's oh, Honestly, if you don't, if you if you don't watch that Villa on Tour episode, you're missing out because it's going to be probably the best one ever. It's going to be amazing. Any final words then, mate? This has probably been the most positive, most incredible podcast we've ever done. Just talking about two absolutely outrageous results and then our trip to sort of Bosnia in a couple of days. It's just it's just amazing at the moment being a Villa fan. It's yeah, it's incredible. I'm loving absolutely every minute of being a Villa fan at the moment. It's absolutely incredible watching us like this. And I think just. Final words from me, I think just, again, I think we said this on previous podcasts, but just a massive thank you to so many of the Villa fans. I mean, on uh, Saturday that are against Arsenal, in your absence, I mean, the amount of people that came up to me and said, oh, Max isn't doing a video today, is he? Uh, what are you doing about it? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing some filming <laughs> and stuff. And everyone was like, proper love with it, going, oh, yeah, go on, go on, son. Like, so, oh, I um, love that. Yeah, no, just thanks again, really, just to... Uh, volume of people that come up and uh, and even at the even at the under 21s game at Bodymore Heath on Friday night there was loads more people that came up to me again and uh yeah, it's just really appreciated. So yeah, thank you. Oh, I love that. You're all amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Thank you for watching the channel as always. It honestly means the world to us. So thank you so much for that. Enjoy the rest of your week, Villa fans. Have a good one. Enjoy Villa being amazing. Bask in the glory because it doesn't last forever. So enjoy it. Have a good one and we'll see you in Bosnia. Up the Villa. 